Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, editor here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcast needs. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by Brad Laporte, an EM360 partnered analyst and advisor at Lionfish. And I wanted to ask him what we can expect to see in cybersecurity for 2023. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries at all, Brad. Now, I know this isn't your first time on the EM360 podcast, but for those who maybe didn't listen to that first one, could you uh, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, who Lionfish is? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a go-to-market advisor, so I work very closely with uh, tech vendors, specifically my uh, area of focus is with cybersecurity vendors and everything go-to-market. So uh, that's everything from messaging positioning to fundraising to on the execution side of the house, building out content and evangelism, webinars, uh, podcasts such as this and really helping organizations find their voice. So there's certainly um, the one of the biggest challenges that we end up working with and identifying is some a lot of organizations have are going through a identity crisis. So we help them uh, find themselves and then help them get to the next step, whether it's getting from a series A to a B to a C all the way up to series Z, or you know it might even be a public company or a larger entity that's looking to refine certain areas of their portfolio and and certainly have that you know resonate with their buyers and their their prospects and, and as well as their clients. Nice one, Brad. Thank you for that. And I, I think we can safely say that, you know, it's certainly been an eventful year. Um, when it comes to lasting changes to the cybersecurity landscape, what was your kind of highlight of 2022? On a personal note, so back in 2019, I created a category called attack surface management, which kind of set the stage for what Gartner is now calling a program, uh, CTEM, or Continuous Threat Exposure Management. And really what it's about is increasing your security posture, you know, helping organizations answer the question of, you know, how secure am I and are my security controls working properly? And it's um, really a culmination of a lot of different technologies um, that, that really have, we, we've seen in terms of uh, several acquisitions that happened over the past year and really over the past two years. Um, you know, and with that, um, it was one of the hottest topics, I think, of the year in cybersecurity specifically. And a large portion of that is because organizations are waking up to the fact that they don't really know what their attack surface is and they don't know what their risk exposure is. Um, a lot of the things that you see on the front page of the newspaper, a lot of the trending events and attacks, all that can be mapped back to some kind of exposure within their environment, you know, whether it be a misconfiguration in their cloud, or it might be, you know, a certain IP range or domains that were even credentials that were exposed that to the external internet that they weren't really aware that were there or not even knowing what assets they have in their environment. So after going to conferences like RSA, Black Hat, and a lot of the others that really were held to this year, 
um, which was also great because we were able to go back. We could walk back with confidence that, you know, physical events are here again. It was good to see people face to face. And, you know, if you walk around, attack surface was one of the top areas, um, which, you know, previous years it was heavily focused on XDR and, and that was certainly prevalent along with ransomware. But a lot of it was uh, being more proactive messaging around being you know, increasing your security posture, increasing your security validation and in having the people process and technology enabled to do that. Got it. Got it. Um so obviously in terms of what you were saying there about like attack service and those other kind of things emerging, um, how are they set to play out for next year? And indeed, you know, what are some of your predictions for 2023? Are you particularly optimistic about what next year brings? I mean, I'm not going to lie to people. Next year is going to be a really difficult year, especially uh, as the global economy continues to be strained. Um, a lot of the... L- uh, specifically in the tech community, it's um, we've saw a lot of layoffs um, and a lot of trimming fat. And um, some of it was reactionary, but a large portion of it was proactive. Organizations are relatively healthy in most verticals, in most areas. Some are more strained than others. But organizations were going through and trimming the fat proactively. And we saw a lot of this back in the late, 2000s. So subsequently after the market crash in 2009, 2010, and and subsequent years that followed, um, organizations very quickly made this this course correction. And even the best economists out there don't know exactly how things are going to shake out. And I think a large portion is how quickly uh, things will evolve over the next, um, you know, specifically in the United States. So next year is an election year for uh, the United States. So that's going to have a major bearing and then everything leading up to that point. So there's a lot of, we'll call it's called economic easing and and tightening uh, that has taken place in terms of different measures that the specifically the U S government and subsequent governments around the world that are trying to take action on. Um, So it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how this stuff is evolving and, What's happening is now, because of this, there's all these secondary and third third and fourth actions that come out of this. And we've seen a lot of acquisitions occur in the cybersecurity industry, and we're only going to see that increase. So private equity certainly had a, a very monumental year. That's going to increase over the next two years, and that's going to be certainly peaking next year as well. And concurrently, indirectly related, we've seen a very sharp decline in venture capitalists. Um, so a lot of the fund funding and fundraising and large uh, raises that you saw at the beginning of the year, that was deals that were started in 2021. So it carried over into this year and things really started the course correct after July when organizations went through their, their first and second quarter results and saw a decline in terms of the, the Q2 and then followed in to Q3. And then course corrections were made in October and November. Um, that's going to continue. And a lot of organizations are either tightening down more or getting in process of ramping up for next year in terms of their capabilities. And to simplify things, it really comes down to the fact of organizations are split into two different camps. 
one of them is they're good with money and the other is they're not good with money. So watching burn rates, watching your balance sheets and identifying and having good cash flow and good cash management is going to be paramount on who is successful next year and who is not. And if you're looking, you know, this is a public service announcement to any vendor out there that's looking to raise funding, you know, that's going to be almost impossible next year. Um, so make sure that you have um, a lot of venture capitalists are advocating that you have 24 months of burn rate now at a minimum 12 to get you through next year and do anything that you can not to raise fundraising, uh, raise a new, new round next year because it's going to be incredibly difficult. And this is going to have a cascading effect across the entire market. And anyone that's not able to do that unfortunately, will be consumed by the private equity engine and they're going to be made offers that they can't refuse. And that's where you're going to see a mass amount of consolidation across the market. We've already seen a lot of it over the past two years. Uh, next year is going to be like the year of M&A in terms of a lot of these, not only private equity, but we're also going to see it from larger tech companies that ha are sitting on a large portion of cash that have benefited from a lot of success over the past couple months and specifically the past two, three years, uh, especially with the big market boom that occurred. And um, there you'll see larger organizations make build out their own uh, M&A teams, build out their own uh, venture capitalist funds, investment funds. We've seen that with Recorded Future, Sentinel One, CrowdStrike, um, Microsoft uh, for many years now has had M12. So, you're going to see a lot of those things happen. And it's all for good reason because it's it's positioning this kind of economic roller coaster that we're going to go on over the next couple of months. Mm, well said, got it. So private equity is the the kind of two special words of 2023. And uh, mm -hmm. to be honest, I, I think it's interesting that you raised the, the whole politics thing as well because I think that... You know, one thing that seeing uh, the the topic of cybersecurity sneak its way into mainstream news quite a bit now is these international state-sponsored attacks that we're seeing in the in the Russian mm -hmm. conflict and that kind of stuff um, that are obviously beginning to target businesses as well as governments. With this whole kind of concept of cyber warfare, like coming into the mainstream news like that, how is this affecting the cybersecurity landscape? It's very difficult to navigate and manage this effectively. So the major challenge is combating the overwhelming amount of disinformation. And with uh, Elon Musk acquiring uh, Twitter and some of the, the due diligence that went in there, that was a major component. So a lot of disinformation does come out of social media, Twitter being one of them, but you also have things like Discord, Reddit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, threat, threat actors and nation states will use malicious automation, they'll use botnets, and they'll basically uh, use that as a way to communicate things that are pushing their political agenda. And suppressing this malicious automation is incredibly difficult. A lot of these solutions are able to bypass and, and get around and circumvent bot mitigation tools and security tools that are in place. It's very hard to filter this stuff out. We're also seeing this malicious automation being used across the internet. At least one third of the internet is malicious automation and just overall constant scanning. And it goes back to that whole attack surface management component. 
and the attack surface being a uh, core element. So a lot of threat actors are using this malicious automation to constantly search the internet and uh, look for weak weak points. You know, they're they're going around each in in each organization's house. They're trying to open up the back window. They're trying to open the back door. They're trying to go down the chimney. They're trying to do all these different things to try and find a weak point, a beachhead, so to speak, to get into that organization. So. Um, those things are incredibly difficult and uh, it's just more and more of it. And the lines between the nation states and criminal organizations are blurred. So uh, a lot of the nation states to have a force multiplier are recruiting and using these criminal organizations to be effectively foot soldiers to uh, push their political agenda. And, you know, for each of the different, uh, nation states that are out there, we can slice and dice it however we want. You know, they all have their different motivations and uh, approaches that. Have. But you know, I think that's the biggest issue that we have right now collectively because uh, it drives forward the narrative and how people perceive things, how they make decisions, uh, so on and so forth. And to use another recent example, I mean, with this uh, eight dollar uh, blue check mark at Twitter, you know. There was a lot of uh, misinformation, a lot of um, accounts and, and things that uh, came out of that. I mean, all you have to do is you know, go and search the Internet to, to see what that looks like, um, what the repercussions were. And it had an impact on uh, stock markets and and on the global economy because of that information. And that's that's the overall impact that this disinformation could have where you know, you have organizations saying that they're going to give their product away for free now, you know, not having a major impact on the stock market, but it's not true. And there's no real easy way to validate that information. And it has a very cascading effect across the board that impacts really the 8 billion people that we have on this planet. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting point to make that you know attackers are beginning to use you know AI a lot more to identify weaknesses mm-hmm. on that on that wider scale. Um, I guess that kind of ties into the fact that AI is playing an increasingly more important role in security. Obviously, uh, as you just mentioned, cyber criminals are using it to identify those weaknesses. Um, are defenders of these services using AI and machine learning in their algorithms to help detect be- breaches and respond to those breaches? Are, are they using it enough? It's still embryonic, but across the board, defenders and attackers are using more and more automation. They're using more and more tools, um, and this is increasing. This is a cyber war that we're at, and it's a war of the machines. So you have to be automation with automation. Uh, the days of trying to uh, fight off these cyber attacks with you know sticks and rocks is, are over, and it does require having more automation and more artificial intelligence, machine learning, behavioral-based technology, which is an output of some of that, and and really trying to get into uh, having automated workflows. So there are more adoption of these automated uh, tools. And this is every CISO that I end up talking to, you know, one of the things that they're looking for is, is to have high confidence in the insights that they have so they can be actionable. And not only that, having it be fully automated uh, and based on a policy-driven workflow. 
So if I have a high fidelity action point that I get, you know, through threat intelligence, through exposure management tools, security validation, you know, these are the core elements that I have in my kit, you know, the different cards that I have in my deck, then I can then with high confidence make appropriate actions. And it can be driven by policy. So if I have a certain subsidiary within my environment or basically a subdivision, and I want to take certain actions to say the legal department versus accounting versus the engineering department and uh, or certain you know, high risk devices that might be end of life, or there's a million different reasons why I would want to do X, Y, Z. Um, and that's where, where things are headed. So there's a lot of resistance in terms of implementing automation around the fact that um, it, you know, historically has not had that level of confidence, that level of enrichment. And, and that is changing because of, some of the things that are happening with uh, data analytics. We're now seeing uh, more use of data lakes, specifically security data lakes for cybersecurity, um, which is a taxonomy or term used around that. And being able to access a lot more information in a more cost-effective way. And this is all amplifying the adoption of these automated tools, um, no matter how you slice and dice it and, and, and categorize it. Well said, well said. Brad, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Uh, my final question for you is, where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, the best thing to do is uh, follow me on LinkedIn. So Brad Laporte, um, one of the only ones in cybersecurity. You can also send me a direct message. Um, you can also contact me at blaporte at lionfishtechadvisors.com. Um, and then you can also reach out to us on our corporate LinkedIn or on our website. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, Brad. And thank you to everyone listening as well. We hope you took a lot away from today's episode, but for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to lionfishtechadvisors.com or follow Brad Laporte on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms, follow the conversations on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn, And for more great daily content, please head on over to em360tech.com.